0: Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer.
1: Hey, good afternoon and welcome to Talent Talk. It's uh, 1 o'clock, it's Tuesday. We're in Pacific Standard Time, of course, and I'm here uh, live in the studio, which is uh, feels like more of the exception than the rule these days, but glad to be in the studio and we're going to have uh, really interesting guests uh, on with me today and we'll do the show in a little bit slightly different format since we have just one guest. We'll take a couple commercial breaks in there and um, kind of break it up a little bit but uh, looking forward to speaking to him in just a minute in, in case this is the first time you happen to be tuning in well welcome and let me give you a little rundown on how this show kind of works um, you know I have the privilege of, of meeting a lot of cool and interesting people or leaders that are talking about culture leadership talent development maybe studying it writing about it whatever it may be and I love to ask them a lot of questions so I can learn more and I can expand uh, my, my deeper understanding into these topics and so this show is really designed to give you that opportunity to also listen to their answers and, and even be a part of that conversation. In fact, you can submit questions via Twitter uh, now or if it's after the show is aired live. I'm sure all of us uh, involved would be happy to continue to answer questions and And comments on Twitter, at PeopleG2 is where you send it. If you have room, add the hashtag Talent Talk. That does help us make sure we find it. And my producer, Mike, feeds me in the questions uh, that come in live to the show. And then we all kind of, guests and myself all participate afterwards. So love to have you do that. And, uh, you know, most of you... um, kind of come into the show after the fact. We, we do have a good old audience that comes in live here every Tuesday. Most of you come in through iTunes or listen on iHeartRadio. I've got over 10,000 of you a day coming in, listening to at least one uh, podcast or show on those different platforms and really appreciate everyone's support. Uh, and being a part of the show on a regular basis. So tell a friend, share it on social media, listen to an extra show, whatever it may be. I hope that you're getting something out of it and it helps you in your own career. So as I mentioned, I have one guest today, uh, Aaron Schaefer. Uh, Aaron is a long history in HR and is currently the CHRO and principal at uh, Schaefer Psy- Psychological Institute. As well as being a part-time faculty member, and I don't know how he juggles all that, but we'll have to find out. Uh, He's over at UC Irvine and Chapman and Webster University, all three great places that are doing a lot of great work in this area. And I'm sure he's going to tell us more, but let's go ahead and get him into the show. Aaron, welcome.
2: Chris, thank you very much for inviting me. It's a privilege to be here.
1: Well, why don't you tell Evan a little bit about yourself, uh, what you're currently doing. Let's maybe start with uh, your, your, your day job. Kind of tell us what you're doing and what you're up to.
2: Sure. You know, it seems like a really exciting time. And I, I don't know if it's just because the economy is buzzing or, or just a lot of businesses are, are at this point to make changes, but really getting to work along the spectrum of talent capital management, from employee engagement and training and development work all the way through to coaching CEOs, um, as well as the founding bread and butter of our organization, which was around psychological assessment, um, primarily working for public safety and PE firms. But it's getting to play the system that's making this time really fun for me.
1: So playing the system, maybe you can go a little deeper into that. Is that just being able to, to dabble and to tweak and to, to experiment, or is it, uh, or do you mean something different by that?
2: It's a little bit of that. I mean, in a sense that if you look at, at people and organizations who are operating in these broader systems. And I think so often in a coaching or consulting engagement, we're brought in to deal with a piece of it. You know, let's look at employee engagement or let's look at our organizational structure and see if it's optimized, et cetera. And so I think the real value is when you look at the whole broader internal and external variables and you get to play with and tweak the various elements so it all harmonizes together. So it's not just picking a, a particular instrument or a particular musician, but getting to set the symphony is really the, the beauty and the fun for me.
1: It sounds like you're having a lot of fun kind of looking at that overall talent management. And maybe you could tell us a little bit about, I have this, this question here, and I, I'm not sure if I understand, maybe Mike, my producer, kind of threw it in there or something that we talked to you about ahead of yeah. time. But the, the zen and the art of talent management, what is that?
2: You know, it's funny. I think um, maybe this is just an artifact of, you know, once we reach our 40s, you start seeing things come around again, right? I mean, you you kind of have the guru of the day in talent management, you know, someone whose book was picked up by a prominent CHRO, and now everyone's talking about why, or everyone's talking about neuroleadership, et cetera. But I think one of the fun parts is that as you get to see these cycles repeat over and over again, you can trace a lot of what we're doing today, you know, back to Tony Robbins and back to Covey, and then before that to Nightingale, and before that to Carnegie, and if you really do the paternity test, I think you can get yourself back there to, to certainly to um, Shakespeare, and then Plato and Aristotle, right? Do so you see it, sort of see it come over and over again? Right. So to me, the Zen is, is distilling it down to what are the timeless features of, of talent practices that just work? I mean, what are the aspects of people, our physiology, our biology, that are just, they just haven't changed over the, the thousands of years of recorded history? And, and you can sense, get back to these common, I guess, approaches and tools that really just continue to work. And some there's something freeing about that. You don't necessarily need to know today's latest neurological research to understand that, yeah, you got to know your people to be, you know, to have a key to employee engagement. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. I and mean, what, maybe what are some of the other uh, basic truths or common uh, things that you have seen? I mean... One of the first ones that popped to my head, which, and this would be the edited version, but, uh, you know, don't be a jerk, right? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, you know, and it seems like that would go pretty far back. But what are some of the other ones that you thought of that are kind of universal or, or go back, you know, back to even Plato and Aristotle?
2: Sure. I mean, a few of them are just understanding yourself. I mean, really, whether you look at religious text or secular text, again, going back to Aristotle, Plato, etc., it, it's knowing yourself, Knowing who you are as a person, the strengths you bring to the table, and, and kind of the authenticity and humility that kind have to come along with that. So I know I am good at this. I'm not good at that. And sort of building onto that is a, is a flexibility of leadership style, knowing that sometimes you do need to be the jerk. You know, every, it's going to sound terrible. If you told me this early in my career, I would, have, I would have balked at the idea. But every so often you do need a good hanging. Mm -hmm. You know, in a sense that in an organization, sometimes when someone really goes completely astray of the values, they got to go publicly, which again, it just, it it seems to be something that recurs in the text and in the the ideas throughout the generations. So flexibility, um, um, recognizing who you are, the strengths you bring to the table. And then I think primarily this notion of focus. I think nowadays it's the hardest thing to be focused. I can barely even turn on my computer without looking at, oh, I wonder what's going on in the social media world and getting emails from other people. And so I found a lot of my practice is on helping clients focus on what's most important to moving them or their business forward.
1: You dropped in quite a few gems there. Um, And if I can kind of retrace your steps there, I I really love the the idea of that humility to know you know what you are good at and, and what you're not and i think part of that is being able to to say hey i'm not good at this thing and that's okay and i'm going to go find somebody else who is and let them run with it and let them enjoy it let them be successful at it and, and help me i think sometimes there's that pressure especially early on in your career to to not show any any uh, kinks in the armor right to to look perfect to, to try to do everything and ultimately you end up failing cuz you you just can't do all that those things
2: absolutely
1: and, agree yeah and so many of those things just kind of kind of come around so maybe you have some do you do you see that often with people maybe early in their career or do you do do you see it across the board
2: you know early in the career i see it more often you know i, I was actually just uh, out with a i mean it's going to sound funny there, there's this notion of work life balance too which maybe we'll get to later maybe not but i was actually out body surfing in, this morning with a um, client of mine you know, instead of saying, hey, let's have a meeting, we'll, we'll book a conference room. It's like, well, you know, we live in California, let's take advantage of it, let's go in the ocean. So we're having this conversation between waves, and the idea is, that, or the, the, the concern is that, listen, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good founder. I Maybe mean, I'm an okay CEO, but I can't necessarily, you know, I get emotionally connected to the decisions, I can't necessarily push in the direction that I need to take the organization. And and really our conversation quickly moved to, well, you know, that's fine. Do you have the people around you that can? Do you have the people around you that are capable of either making this tough call technically or personnel-wise who can see strategically and those that can see operationally and work within the business? They don't all have to be in the same person. So to your question, I think think it, it gets you more so early on in your career Later on, I see the exact same things, but what I'm seeing more of, and this this is just my view, you know, it may not be your mileage may vary, may not be showing up in your world, but I'm seeing more people who, who are dealing with, I guess they have have the capabilities, they see the bigger picture, they've got technical skills, but now uh, the inner voice is nagging at them. So their own self-critic, which helped drive them and strive them up into their 30s, now in their 40s and 50s, is holding them back or it's blunting the, the positive experience that they're having at the senior executive level. So with folks in that state, we're working on a very, very different sort of inner dialogue shaping kind of techniques.
1: Yeah, and, and it's fascinating how that sort of experience is maybe commingling with what you also brought up about this idea of, of trying to keep our focus. Now, the, the example you gave of taking your client out to the ocean is fantastic because you can't have your phones on, right? You can't be answering calls or or, or, or seeing texts or checking social media. You you probably had a pretty uh, engaged and focused conversation while you know uh, while in the water or in the sand there at the beach. If I compare that to my morning, where I had um, oh at least a dozen WhatsApp. Uh, up app messages, another dozen on Messenger. I had texts. I had three phone calls. And I also had my hip chat program for my company. So I was constantly wow. being like just pulled. And this was an unusual morning, but constantly being pulled for my attention all morning. And I finally just said enough. And I just put my phone away. And, you know, I had to just focus on what I was doing. But those are sort of those new things that people are really struggling with and being able to be effective in their days. Is that something you've seen more and more to be a problem for your clients? or the people in which you're, you're kind of looking at or studying or your students, whatever it may be?
2: I do for all of the above. And certainly, you know, i got to say myself included. I mean, we are all works in progress. And I'll let you know when I find the uh, self-actualized or perfect leader. I certainly don't see him in the mirror. So it's definitely a struggle. I can't say that every day is a perfect balance. But finding the techniques to achieve that balance, you, know, you have to be a bit more creative these days, but they're definitely still there and achievable. And, I, and I'll give you an example. There's reasonable enough evidence suggesting that you really, you can learn, you can think, you can be mindful when you're engaged in a physical task that doesn't require a lot of thought. So one of the things I've liked about um, various cultures, but I've seen this in the Japanese culture, you know, where you're sort of constricted to the small space where everything has to have a dual purpose. You know, that that chair is also your tatami mat that you sleep on, that thing you put out the candles with is a back scratcher. So how do we make this dual purpose apply to other activities, like meetings as an example? So how do we get some exercise, get into a physical state so that we're we're kind of in our body and not distracted by uh, electronic distractions and accomplish meaningful things related to ourself or the business? And going out for walks, going surfing or in the ocean, riding bicycles—I have like two and three-mile meetings occasionally—tend to help us get there. When you don't have to plaster the uh, uh, flip chart or the screen with um, you know Excel spreadsheets, you can really get there, get out, and think. And that causes focus without having to discipline yourself when your phone is there it's buzzing like a little animal right and your screen is flickering and you've got all sorts of reminders and all this it's, it's very hard to not distract yourself you know in a sense it's eating healthy when you're living in a healthy environment rather than eating healthy and working at haagen-dazs
1: yeah well it's almost like riding the treadmill while eating haagen-dazs right i mean <laughs> <laughs>
2: Sometimes that happens too. Right. You the okay. cookies, but everyone's got their thing.
1: <laughs> well, maybe you could talk a little bit about being a transformational leader then, and, and maybe what are some of the key competencies and tools and tactics that leaders can think about doing to maybe really transform themselves or their organizations going forward?
2: Yeah, you know, I think the starting place is figuring out where you want to go. So when we talk about transformational leadership, it's transforming it from what to what. You know, from a founder-driven company to, to a more matured, maybe professionally run organization? Is it transforming it from a, a stuck culture to an innovative culture? Or is it transforming yourself? What do you What do you want differently? So I gave a, a talk to a room full of CEOs was about two years ago in L.A. And asked people there, this is a fundamental question to me for coaching, for anything really, is what does success look like to you? It's not my version. You know, I mean, it's not your spouse's version, your parents' version, what everyone tells you, society's version, what does success look like to you? And, and I think of this along uh, the lines of family. I, I, for, for me, it's four Fs. Family, fitness, finance, and fervor, or your passion. Uh, just because I couldn't think of a better F. But what is it in these dimensions that, that looks like success? And so, so you start to define your goals and I think you recognize that it's a range. It's not a destination. It's, well, I'm going to achieve this much money and I'm going to have this many kids, etc., etc. It's, it's how do I know when I'm in it in today and within the week and within the month? So you get this range. And when you think of transformational leadership or otherwise, you got to figure out where is that point? What's that range you want to achieve? And then once we're there... All kinds of tools and techniques, etc., slot in that make sense to get you there. But those vary depending on where you want to get to. Does
1: that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, those are really important things to focus on. And you know, I think those the the, the four Fs you mentioned are some of the great ones to go on. And and I guess you could also argue that if those aren't where your focus is, then finding whatever your four or five or whatever those things are that you want to focus on, and sure. at least just having that focus is is really what's sort of key um, instead of us just bouncing around from one text message or email or ping on our on our phones to the next and then you you know finish the day with this sort of guilt that you didn't get anything done and wake up in the morning hoping to do better and you end up right back where you started so Absolutely. Yeah, yeah having that focus is really important so I mean uh, let's just be, maybe give a given here let's say a leader has been able to do that right has been able to put in that focus has, has got that going feeling like they're on most days, somewhat successful, somewhat you know adequate at least in, in, in focusing on those things and and working towards our goals. So then the next thing is sort of then well how how do we how do we successfully help our employees? How do we you know motivate them and help them be the best they can be? Do you have some ideas or maybe keys to success of, of as it relates to to working with your employees?
2: So I would think, let's say the leader is in that state, you know, they've they've got to focus on where they want the organization to go, and they're moving in the right direction. I think one thing to be aware of for any CEO is that you are constantly broadcasting a signal. And so for an individual who is fortunate enough, capable enough to be in that state, make sure it's getting out there to their employees, first of all. You know, sort of meeting that safety need. We all like to feel like we're part of a winning team. Um, So ensuring they know that, yeah, I'm feeling like I'm in a good place, this is heading in a good direction. The second piece is ensuring they have a team who has as one of their measurables, one of their deliverables. I know I'm going to get a little tactical on this one, but how are you developing your people? So, So it isn't necessarily the CEO doing it, but recognizing that this has got to be a part of the culture of the organization. And, and it can't just be a value if we're not somehow holding people accountable for it. So as we go through weekly operation or monthly operations reviews, financial reviews, etc., let's do it the same cadence and in the same priority order. Sometimes even leading with the talent review. How are your people doing? What are you doing to create or, uh, oper- uh, opportunities for them to be successful? How do you? How well do you know your people? Mm-hmm. And so I, I will constantly ask folks that I work with people that have had the fortune or misfortune of reporting to me how well do you know your people what motivates them what matters to them where do they want to go with their their development not necessarily advancement but development
1: yeah and then if if you can really focus in on that you know again that's sort of i guess pointing the ship where we want them to go or helping them point their own ship where they want to go then we can you know kind of dive in at where do you go from there and we're we're going to do that when we come right back we're going to take our first commercial break uh, we're with uh, Adam Shaver and uh, we'll be back in just a moment mm-hmm.
3: When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's US-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. Higher.
1: Welcome back to the uh, Talent Talk Radio Show. Uh, while we are on break, we got uh, Aaron's uh, headset working a little bit better, and we found out that once again, I have mispronounced someone's name. It seems to be my calling card. It is my. I think someone has put me like in the third level of hell, and they just said you will you will have to be on the radio and always mispronounce people's names, and that's just it's my penance. So whatever. So Aaron Schaffer, is that are we saying it correctly now? That the last name is Schaffer.
2: You nailed it.
1: Nailed it. All right. Second time's a charm. All right. So right, we we'll bring an Aaron back in. And as you might remember, he uh, is the CHRO over at uh, Schaffer uh, Psychological Institute. He's also a professor um, over at UCI and uh, Chapman and um, Webster University. And we were just talking about motivating our employees and, and really sort of, if we kind of retrace the steps here, we want to get ourselves pointed in the right direction to make sure we understand what, how how we value um our own work and where we want to go and then we're kind of you know trying to help our own employees do the same thing uh so that maybe they're pointing their ships in the right direction uh, but once we've done that are there some other things that um we need to do to really make sure that we are um i am mean, almost thinking maybe smaller tactical things are there other things that you have yeah. seen that maybe people are doing to be successful to help their employees uh succeed
2: I, I've seen a couple of things, uh, or three things actually I'll just sh- share, and we can go into detail on any of them if you want, or go a different direction. Um, one of which is, is stories. So in order to, to relay the company values or our direction to individuals, I find that leaders that learn to be good storytellers and can actually say, okay, well, every company's got integrity on its value statement. Let me describe to you what that means here, and here's a story of something that someone did or didn't do that relates to integrity. So this ability to tell stories, and I say they learn to tell it because not everyone's born with this capability. I don't think I was. I had to learn it over time to be able to work, especially in multicultural environments, so I could relay, here's what this term means, though it can be interpreted in many ways. This is what it looks like here. So it's the ability to tell stories. And, the second piece,
1: oh, yeah. and, and real quick, have you found any good resources on how to maybe help people become very better, better storytellers? Because you're 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 preaching the choir here. I mean, this is what we do here with this radio show, and then what our, the station does every day is tell, tell tell stories. But I've I've yet to found a great way to maybe help people who don't tell stories very well how to tell them better without maybe just you know basic repetitive try to tell a story practice. Um, yeah.
2: I don't know. It's a good question. I, I don't, you know, I don't think any illumination I'd have would be beyond the uh, basic. You know, right. I, when I do work with clients to tell stories, I, I ask them to pick ten vignettes and and go there. Be it, feel it, hear it, taste it, describe it in three to five sentences. That's your story. Right. And then when you relate it to people, do not have your notes in front of you because then you're reading your story and it feels like a story and not an authentic account. So nothing beyond the basics on that one. I was hoping maybe you did.
1: <laughs> Seems like a good book idea. I'm writing it down right now. So. <laughs>
2: there is one in there somewhere, a story about how to tell stories. So the second piece of it, and this, this is, again, very tactical, but I, I, I used to see this coming up and over and over again for organizations, is the value of lean or continuous improvement methodology. Now, I don't think we're outside of talent development, because if you look at principles of Kaizen as an example, these are founded on behavior, or they're founded on principles of engagement and creativity. And so I find that, like I was working with a government agency uh, about two years back, and they were in the midst of huge budget crunch. And so we were doing process reengineering work. So whether it's lean, six sigma, um, uh, process improvement, plan-do-check-act, continuous improvement, process reengineering, you know, insert name here. They're, they all have a common pool of tools, and so we were doing process reengineering with this group, and I, I had employees that had an average tenure of over 20 years, you know, they were going to retire in position, uh, usually at, at um, sub-manager level positions, and they first looked at this as, this is horrible, how are we going to, you know, it sounds like an activity to learn how to get rid of people's jobs. Within three weeks, we are having so much fun and it's so engaging. We found so many efficiencies within the operations that they actually minimized the need to uh, to eliminate jobs. In fact, out of an organization out of 2,200 people, only five jobs went away when, when we just changed directions technologically. And so I find that continuous improvement as an engagement and creativity as well as a thought-provoking uh, set of processes and tools is immensely powerful. And, and Toyota for is always looked at as a sort of living example of it, the Toyota Way.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I do have a reading on that one. Oh. There is a Harvard Business Review article. I think it's Harvard Business Review. It might be MIT Sloan. But it's uh, uh, Lessons of Change from NUMI, N-U-M-M-I. And it's the story of Toyota taking over the Fremont manufacturing facility, which was, I believe, part of the GM line. And low performer in the GM line back in the 90s, and Toyota took it over and uh, made it one of the higher performing lines in Toyota.
1: Hmm. And, that, and that's an article that's kind of, um, you said Harvard Business Journal that uh, described all of that or kind of followed it? You
2: no, know, it, it describes what was uh, some of the tactics on, on how things were done, how the culture was changed, and, and what some of the results were. Mm hmm. And so Toyota Toyota is a good example, just generally, of taking the principles of lean in particular and Six Sigma in quality environments and cascading them down to the front lines and then engaging people in improving the company and the product and our services. I think Toyota employees came up with an average of 260,000 recommendations for improvement. Um, and, And with a company with about a quarter million people, that's a pretty good ratio.
1: And if I'm remembering my lean terminology correctly, I think those are mudas, right? Those things, those things that are wasteful or things that don't really provide value to the process or the bottom line that you remove. Is that? I think that's right.
2: I think you're right. I think that's right too. <laughs> but yeah, we would do kaizen events and we would do five Again, the, the language has changed over the years and get a little muddied in my heads from Deming from Deming on. But the ideas are, are have been timeless.
1: Yeah, and, and uh, you don't have to do a complete lean, uh, you know, you don't have to turn your entire company into this living, breathing lean machine to know that if you go back and just say, what are the things that we're doing that are are not helpful, that aren't having an impact to our organization, that we can change, alter, replace, whatever it may be, it's a fantastic exercise to just get people thinking. It doesn't have to be a let's get rid of people exercise, as you sort of said, you mentioned there was a concern around, but getting people to think about that stuff otherwise we just kind of we're creatures of habit right we just well i do it this way because i do it this way this is the way i was taught to do it and uh, it works and i've always hated that that saying if it's not broke don't fix it and i'm like Uh but (laughs) it may not be broke but it may not be working very well right
0: (laughs) i mean yeah i
1: mean there's Riding a horse around was not broken, but we certainly found a better mode of transportation, right? So,
2: (laughs) that was Henry Ford. You know, if I'd asked my customers what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse.
1: Right, and then we can look at we can look at Steve Jobs as well, right? I was perfectly happy carrying around a camera and a phone and a pager and you know all these (laughs) and a calculator and all these things and at once, and then suddenly I had it all in one spot. So.
2: Yeah, it's true. It, it, they had to suffer. I mean, that's another lesson really for CEOs is, is sometimes, you know, you get CEOs that, that are not necessarily as socially keyed in as they need to be, but in many ways that's what got them here. They had to resist all of the conventional wisdom and people saying no, 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 and that's a horrible idea. I mean, if someone told you and you're holding your shiny new IBM ThinkPad that you're going to pay twice as much for a tablet. And, oh, by the way, it's basically a half-powered laptop with no keyboard. You'd think they're mad. But nowadays, you know, I I want an iPad Pro. And no, it doesn't make logical sense, but I want that thing.
1: Right, absolutely. And, uh, you know, if you can do it, Find the way, what's the thing you can do to, to make that change. It's helpful, but then also make it better, right? I mean, using an iPad is a lot more fun, or using a phone now is than, than it was using that Texas Instruments, I don't know, calculator or, um, True. or whatever we used to have. I and mean, they certainly have made them better or more fun or, or, or more convenient. It was a, another factor as well.
2: I want to just dive back into the lean just a little bit for just to illustrate a couple more points. Sure, let's do it. Go for it. We talk about employee engagement, right? And I think Corporate Executive Board did some great research about a decade ago where they surveyed over a quarter million people in, I think it was 54 companies in 11 countries, so relatively large, down to small, but mostly large companies, about what drives employee engagement. And the number one thing is knowing how what they do impacts the organization. And so now we're getting to... Things like Lean and things like, like um, uh, um, management managers facilitating their employees coming up with great ideas, listening to it, and doing something with it. When you're doing process improvement or you're doing um, um, some sort of, I, I guess, employee-engaged uh, innovation forum or, or improvement forum, you're actually hearing, you know, we're getting to be creative, we're coming up with ideas, you know, I, when, when, you know, employees, I think 75% of employees said they have an idea that would improve the company, their operational efficiency, um, uh, additional revenue, decrease expenses, etc., um, but they would never shared it with the organization. follow-on question is why, because no one ever asked it. So here we are now. We're engaged in, a, in an environment where, yeah, we're going to actually talk about it's, it's going to become the thing we want to find is fault and pro, or problems and make improvements. So now you're not only improving the organization just from an operational standpoint or tactically, you have employees that are feeling heard, which is really what we're driving for to really achieve employee engagement. They've got to feel heard, and they see how what they're doing is making an impact. It, it's a triple for really something that's coming in under under a more benign title like process improvement. And again, I don't mean to sound like, you know, this is my one tool and so everything's going to look like a nail with this hammer. This is one approach, but it's one I've seen working more lately and having a lot more pickup in organizations lately than it has in the past few years. I don't know why.
1: I was just about to ask you why you thought that was, but you're saying you're not not sure why. And I'm wondering if maybe that yeah. some of that's the gener- it's a good way to connect people. We have some really varying and ever changing generational um, gaps right now. That maybe we, we we've always had this challenge, but it seems like there's some pretty um, pretty distinct challenges at our, at this time in our 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 company or our, excuse me our country's history with what really five converging. Generations, Um, yeah, and having this right framework or a way to. Uh, My my thing is always you know whatever your system is. We used to coach basketball, and I would tell the kids, it doesn't matter if we're running the wrong defense. You know, we there is certain defenses we should run and offenses you should run, but if we are at least doing the same defense together at the same time, we're going to be far more effective, even if it's not the correct one against this particular team or this offense or whatever that the first challenge is is can we do it together right can we can we all be on the same page and trust each other and know our roles and know our assignments and go out there and then make our incremental tweaks um and 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 i think people tend to do the opposite right and and instead of all getting on the same page and getting themselves down uh to start with do do you agree with that or or is there somewhere else to think about that
2: uh, no, I, I couldn't agree more emphatically. I mean if I were to choose like, as an investor um, as well as a consultant as, as being in a business, if I were to cho- have to choose you know at the beginning of a quarter, a year, a decade, what the winning team is going to be, I'm going to look for the team that plays well together. They're aligned, they're effective, much more than you know, who's necessarily got the right pedigree, the smartest people, none of it. even the best business idea. It's the team that is aligned and focused. They don't even have to like each other. Aligned and focused, that is the team that's going to win. And in a sense, that's what the movie um, Miracle illustrates with the 1984 U.S. Olympic hockey team. Yeah. Beating the three- or four-time Russian champion. Be- even though they are better players, we learned to focus and function effectively as a team. And that made all the difference. And I see this in organizations all the time.
1: And, and, and the fascinating part, or the, and also the real opportunity for leaders, is to find a way to do that, is to through their um, how the, how they want to feed the culture uh, the people they want to hire yeah. the people they want to let go like you said sometimes you got to let somebody go and um, yep. you know make that a little bit public so that people know that the, these particular behaviors or uh, actions are, aren't going to be tolerated as well um, but uh, yep. yeah I mean so one of the ways that we've I've seen that companies have done really well with, but not enough companies are doing it is, is through training, right? Sort of a, c- that continuing yeah. exposure to ideas and improvement for all of your employees. Yeah. Is, is, do you think that that's just people being cheap or do you think they just don't understand the value of, of what they can get out of something like that?
2: I think it's a little of both, maybe more of the latter. You know that that in a sense it's it's not a sexy term anymore. Like we're going to invest in training, and in particular, frontline manager training is is near and dear to my heart as far as impact. You know, no one's writing a new book that says, yeah, you should train your managers on how to run effective meetings, how to give, how to have tough conversations. Um, you know, how to use basic uh, process improvement tools. No one's writing a book on that. It's been done. However. They continue to be the core and fundamental skills that organizations need to be successful. So, so I'm I'm doing a, a training program for a logistics company right now, um, up in uh, uh, L.A. And I got to say, having these folks come together and not just get the knowledge and skills, but also build a common language. And, and facilitated properly, you build this esprit de corps with the people you're working with that, that in today's environment you may never actually see in person. And the value, the impact of that is, is almost beyond the training content itself, is getting this group together and thinking and speaking the same way. And so, so I, I couldn't agree with you more, Chris. It's incredibly valuable. And, and, yeah, I do think companies don't necessarily look there to achieve value or, you know, the opposite problem where we have an issue, let's throw a training at it. But it isn't training in the context of the broader organizational direction and culture.
1: Well, and given our current uh, employment market, which is, you know, it's very hard to find people. Um, we're, yeah. we're low unemployment right now. So um, those that are standing around looking for a job may not be the ones you want. And those that you have to right. really, really want, you may be paying a premium for. So really, uh-huh. it seems like training is is. You know, right now, one of the best things you can do. And I, I can kind of see how people got away from it for a little bit when it was so much easier just to find talent that was standing on the side of the road that was maybe twice you know, twice as good as who who you had sitting in a seat right now. But that's gone. It,
2: <laughs> um, it totally is. Yeah.
1: So you're only going to improve cool, your people through training.
2: And training, and, and I, I would just pr- put a little broader umbrella over it. I'd say development opportunities. Mm-hmm. So it might be job shadowing, it might be job rotation you know, one organization um, one client organization just does an exceptional job at finding undiscovered talent you know people that were they didn't quite gel in other environments you know whether quirky highly technical etc or they don't have the educational pedigree you know they started working on computers and writing software in their in their bedroom while they were being a waiter and, and never actually achieved the engineering degree this organization is remarkable at finding those people and creating the development experiences where they can go as far as they intellectually and drive-wise can go, and they have just homegrown some of the most amazing talent out of what most organizations would consider C players at best. And for this organization, they've had they've been around for the better part of two decades and have had uninterrupted quarter-over-quarter quarter growth and profitability, uninterrupted for almost two decades. Wow. So, so it's no single formula. You know, in working with a company like that, my goal is not to change the, you know, it's to help them understand who they are and make the process of this improvement and finding the right people more efficient. But um, far be it from me to say, well, Google does it this way and you guys really shouldn't, or Blizzard does it this way, or whatever other company that might be, you know, similar in technology or industry
1: it's really fascinating to kind of know some of the things that you're doing uh as a business coach and i want to dive into that a little bit more i um, mean we could talk a little bit about what you, where you're kind of seeing the next step so the next evolution of coaching will be and we're going to do that we're going to take one more quick commercial break we'll come back here with adam schaffer um and uh, we'll pick up in just a moment
3: Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information by combining industry-leading technology with old school human investigation people g2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now delivered quickly to our online system or integrated with your hr system so ask yourself are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company visit people g2.com or call 800-630-2880 that's 800-630-2880 or people g2.com
1: Welcome back. Here we're live with Adam Scheffer. And where we're kind of looking at from a business uh, coaching standpoint, where we think it's going to be heading. So, uh, And where do you think that the business coaching is really heading in the future?
2: It's business coaching having uh, a few things in hand. One is is a sense of measurable outcomes. So really, what do we hope to achieve with this? What are our goals or the milestones at the very minimum we're going to accomplish? Having a broader toolkit. There's so many good ideas and models out there, you know, from positive inquiry to behavioral conditioning, so on and so forth. There's so many good things, but sometimes depending on your certification, you you've been pushed into one of them, but you're not necessarily looking at the broader whole. So I think coaching as a as a profession is going to need to look at a broader set of tools so you can to, you can work with clients in different realms of their lives and their business and in and, and different problems. They may be having a complicated issue in the business and a, diff- and a simple one personally or vice versa. And no. then I think the third piece, yeah, I'm sorry, go.
1: No, go ahead, go ahead.
2: Also, the broader toolkit and the third piece is, is, is kind of like with HR, really understanding business. Not necessarily the business, because if you're an external coach, you may be dealing with, five or ten different businesses in the scope of your job. But just business in general, how is money made? How is meaning communicated to shareholder, internal and external stakeholders? You know, how are operations run? What is that, what is that, that you know, interest to sale to cash process for organizations? Or, or in the case of government or nonprofit, you know what are the things that, that are, are the behaviors that are required of the outcomes to achieve its mission? And so I think coaches really need to, you can't just be a sounding board or just understand how to use one or two or three or even four or five different psychometrics. You need to be able to take a broader look, draw into a broad toolkit, and figure out the right sequence and the right elements to to bring to bear to help your clients.
1: You know, one of the things that I've had to do when I've gone in and consulted is to really figure out what's the real problem, you know, what's the real... uh... Sort of yeah. area that is an opportunity to really uh, improve upon or to change or whatever it may be, because often what they think is going on is not what's really going on. One tool that's been effective for me is to do some version of a 360 feedback, where you get people talking and you know all around, where it's not just top down. Uh, where you're getting kind of that yeah. information all around. So have you used anything like that or, or that maybe that specifically? And, and and maybe you could kind of talk about if that's been effective for, for you trying to figure out or really to focus your efforts.
2: Sure. You know, I, you know, I think a 360 for an individual um, employee survey, you know, a well-designed, fast, short employee survey tends to be highly effective for doing it at an organization level. So, yeah, I found them to be very effective. Where. Where I'm seeing the opportunity for most organizations, though, is, is turning it from measurement to engagement. So, so I'll give you an example. If I'm doing a 360 and we're just focused on measurement, I'm gonna say, okay, so you've worked with Chris for X number of years, you know, what are his strengths? Where do you see him uh, having less talent or, or weaknesses? And any advice, comments? Which is, okay, it's fine, it's fair enough for a survey. But I think we can expect more of these things. A survey is an engagement. So it's, let's say we're doing a 360 for you. You and I are going to sit down ahead of time and talk about what's your brand? What is it you want to convey? What do you want to learn? You know, what do you want people to regard you as? What are you concerned about? Based on that, I'm going to ask questions that are more, more uh, they're descriptive, but they're also leading. So instead of saying, hey, you know, uh, Chris wanted your feedback, I'll say, you know what? This is a voluntary activity. And, and you know, I asked Chris, who are the people whose opinions you really value? They're f- going to feel will give you very candid, helpful feedback. And, and your name was on that very short list. And so he very much appreciates your participating in this. And then, Chris, what I would do is I'd talk through whatever those um, branding aspects are. Let's say you want to say you're more strategic, uh, empathetic, and also um, decisive. And so I'll then talk to the individual who I'm about to ask for 360 questions. So, you know, Chris took a really strategic view of both his 360 and the organization as a whole. And we'd love to get your feedback because it really feels very connected to the individuals in the company. You know, not just looking at a particular career track or path. And so from that, I'd love to get your feedback and and, and help him improve. Okay, so with that. You know, where do you see your greatest strengths? What are some things you appreciate most? And then design the 360. I make sure I end it on something psychologically positive. Um, but I'll also ask questions that are, are allow people to have some psychological distance. An example is, uh, um, so, so, you know, I understand based on your past, state or your statements just now that you're very much in support of Chris, but how is he viewed by other people? What are some areas that, that he should be aware of that might be blind spots he doesn't hear about out there? And we'll get some feedback on that too. And then try to end the 360 with, what would you like to see, to be even more effective? And again, I'm phrasing this very purposely. To be even more effective, what would you suggest he do or not do? And so I'm going for a behavior in that question. I don't want them to say, he needs to be a better communicator. That's worthless. I want someone to say, you know, when we have company meetings, Chris is great at getting out there and, and getting people energized. I wish he, he'd give us more about his expectations. So I know we're all happy we're doing well, but what do he want us to do differently? Give us a story, give us a behavior, something. And so I'd be able to bring that back to the 360 candidates, or 360 target, if you will, some real behavioral, here's something to do or not do. So again, I think these 360s are very valuable, but they can be taken to a whole new level when we see them as an opportunity to engage people, to excite people, and to get them involved in who you are aspiring to be, not just describing who they see you
1: as. Well, that's uh, Does that make sense or yeah. Speaking crazy. No, it's. Uh, I really appreciate you taking that time to really walk us through uh, kind of that a fullness uh, of how you might approach that and what we might do. And I think a lot of times people might might think about a 360 being really valuable to someone who is maybe more of an executive or is in leadership. Um, but really, what you're describing is something that should be valuable to anyone in the organization at any point and maybe not the first day but you know once we have enough time to have some actual uh, content there to to talk about really be valuable to anyone and how we might be able to to improve and to get better and and really that's I kind of brought this up earlier but the generational differences is one of the things that is key for the millennials and and, and uh, those people in the organization who think like millennials because we have those in every generational bucket to be thinking about They want to know what they need to know. What what should I be doing? What should I not be doing? What is my path to success and how do I get there? And often, I think in the past we've—it's you know—we've told people to shut up and put your head down and go work hard or go figure it out yourself <laughs> or whatever that you know thing was. And now we have a whole generation of people that's saying, that saying that's not cool. I, you tell me the path, right. tell me what I got to do, and that's perfectly reasonable. And I, you know, I, I love it when when I have employees that want to know that and want to do that, but. Uh, it's very, very different. So I think what you're sort of suggesting is not easy, but it's also should be highly effective at helping people get there.
2: Well, and you know, we all have to own up to to you know, it's just human nature. We all say we want feedback, what we're really saying is we want compliments, and and we all in a sense have to own up to that and and step back and say, okay, if I'm not getting the feedback I need. You know, I feel there's something there, I've got some reputation, but unless people are incredibly drunk and motivated, they won't actually tell me what, those, what my reputation is. What am I doing to, to dissuade people from giving me the feedback when I need it? You know, How am I reacting, how am I behaving? So, so again, whenever I've, I've got some discontent with, with outcomes I'm seeing in my world, it's starting point is what I, you know, my life is the sum of my decisions. What am I doing, right or wrong? Or what am I doing that I could improve to help get me to the outcome I'm really looking for. And it, so I would, that would be my advice to the millennials as well as, is, is yeah, the company would be great have a mentor, take you under their wing, provide you a, a career path, but let's assume that doesn't happen. How are you going to go out, identify it and, and drive it yourself?
1: Right. Well, one of my favorite uh, bits of advice we ever had on the show came from uh, Marshall Goldsmith. We had him on a few years ago and he talked about his at that time, it was a newer term. I think he's since written a book about it, but um, called feed forward. And I always suggest this to yeah. people. If they want to, you mentioned ending on a positive note. If you're dealing with someone who inherently takes this type of information negatively or maybe has a low self-confidence and, and, and has a hard time handling this type of information, phrase it as feed forward, which is what this is what I need from you going forward. And I have found yeah. that I can be far more critical or specific or even just flat out i mean i can just give it to that person but because i'm saying it as feed forward i have yet right. to have anybody get mad at me or or get upset with me Because oh. and and it's like this little magic wand uh, technique i you know going forward i mean you could almost say going forward i need you not to be a jerk um, and they usually go oh, okay But if I said, you know, that meeting we were in last week, you were kind of a jerk. They get, whoa, what are you talking about? They get real defensive, right? They, you know, it's suddenly you're, you put them in a different position and it's just, it's a, it's just a slight alteration of words. I don't suggest you actually call them a jerk, but you know, if you can find a way to give them that, Hey, going forward, this is what we really need from you. Uh, That generally is taken very, very well. And it has that positive twist that you were talking about.
2: I think that's a great idea. I really, I really like
1: that. Well, we're almost out of time. I want to make sure we ask uh, one of our favorite questions. that uh, We always get such wide, varied answers, which is why we love asking it. And that is, what are you reading right now? <laughs>
2: An extraordinary number of emails. So I think only <laughs> one book. Like an actual book. Okay. You know, I'm typically, there are a few sources of information I really like. You know, I really like McKinsey, which puts out some fantastic reports. Uh, Strategy and Business, which I think is a derivative of Booz Allen, puts out great reports. I mean, they're supposedly competitor companies, but I, I will use their research. I love it. Um, but the only book is a book called Secular Meditation. I've had more and more working with clients to to, not silence, but change that inner voice, sort of rewrite Mm -hmm. that software that drove them. Um, And meditation and mindfulness techniques have been a very important part of that, meditation being a mindfulness technique, not the only one. And so I found the book Secular Meditation is is providing me some tools and insights that I've been able to relate out to clients immediately. I'm not through the book, and I'm, I'm already using pieces of it. It's a good book, not the best I've ever read, but it's a good book.
1: Well, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that you're kind of looking into that and, and maybe thinking about that for your own clients. I have had many a time in, in counseling or coaching people in talking about that inner voice. And it's usually pretty eye, eye uh, opening to people with once they realize that that voice is actually the four year old you, but it sounds yeah. like the current you, right? So it sounds like an adult, but it's really the four year old you. And so you, no one in their right mind would take advice from a four-year-old, and yet we we spend our time listening to this voice, uh, telling us we can't do something, or this person's going to hurt us, or the, or. You know whatever that it's telling us, and yet we're we're constantly battling it, and and so sometimes just framing it right to understand that this is not really you. <laughs> that right. voice is not really you um, can really free people, right? Because it, it, it's it's where their doubt comes from. It's where they're sometimes it's even where their um, sort of negative behaviors or things that they're doing that they shouldn't be doing, whatever oh, yeah. it may be. So uh, I'm glad you're, yeah, you're like diving you into that.
2: I like the way you put it, a four-year-old you. Because you're right. That does set a great perspective that this isn't this isn't the person to be listening to right now. Right. And so, <laughs> you know, the next step for me is, is, or in clients is we go through visualization exercises and what should the voice be saying rather than you're not good enough, you're going to blow it. Now, you could have done a better job in that speech or that interview, et cetera, is, is, you know, really, what should you be saying? What would you tell an employee in that circumstance? You know, well, I'd say, you know, nice job. Here are some ways to be improved going uh, going forward. Uh, well, why aren't you saying that to yourself? And so we go through those techniques of understanding the you. And I'm going, if you don't mind, I'm going to utilize that. I like the four-year-old you because yeah. the, the you trying to I- give you protection and safety psychologically and physically.
1: Yeah, I didn't invent it somewhere. Uh, I got uh, it from a from a shrink somewhere along the lines, but uh, it's always worked well for me. I, I love b- it. Love it. Yeah. Well, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more or working with you? What's the best f- place for them to go?
2: You know, they can't. I'm, I'm meditating alone on the mountaintop. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, so, you know, we have our website. Uh, it, dad named the company. So this is we're a second-generation organization. He currently does the um, public safety side. I do private sector side. Um, uh, SafraPsychological.com. Or honestly, just call the office, 310-548-6868. Or, or text or call me, 714 uh, 654 nine, eight, seven, one. Also, I can be reached at a shaffer at com, but that's a lot of syllables to remember on an interview.
1: And, and don't forget it's S H A F F E R, in case anyone is, uh, you know, struggling to know how to spell it, uh, cause I struggled to, to even say it correctly. So <laughs> anyways, Aaron, thank you so much for joining yep. us here today on talent talk. Uh, we'd love to have you come back at some point and give us an update on everything you're doing, but we really appreciate you being a part of the show.
2: Chris, I really appreciate the invitation and your insights. And and if I do get a chance to come back, I'd like to be able to uh, learn more about what you've seen and heard because it sounds like you've done amazing things both through this and in your own business.
1: Well, love to love to share. I'm sure we'll catch up soon. Uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. Uh, next week, my guest will be Grace Villanueva, chief consultant for Human Resource Capital Partners, and then Mandy Clark, president of Optimize You. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.